Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. For the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> Here we are live uh, again this this Wednesday on Facebook. We're going to do this uh, pretty much most Wednesdays. I think there's one Wednesday we're missing in October, and we'll actually have a Thursday uh, yeah. event that uh, will be with uh, Cincinnati um. Ale Infusers. C-C-A-I. There you go. No, I'm probably totally wrong. I just I just screwed it up. <laughs> you know who else screws things up? <laughs> Our good friend. John Flickman. Absolutely. John Blickman. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that's the thing about a brilliant engineering mind mm-hmm. is that, uh, you know, you screw things up as you try and create new things or solve problems. One of the one of the ways that you actually solve uh, an engineering problem is to try things and see what breaks and see what changes, and you make yeah. little changes and you see uh, what the results are. And based on that, you can make decisions on, you know, what has what effect, and you you work your way through a problem that way. And that's one of the things about you know we always talked about how um, you know a lot of great brewers were in engineering had some yep. sort of an engineering bent to them because engineering is problem solving. Engineering is logical problem solving. That's all engineering is. You know, yep. you, you, you understand all your inputs, you understand all your, your possible solutions or, you know, the tech technologies you can use. And then uh, you, you know, uh, apply those and see what, what happens and you solve the problem. That's why, uh, you know, using the same thing in homebrewing is, is, you know, quite useful as well. Anyways, uh, our good friend uh, John Blickman, he has used that to uh, create probably the finest uh, homebrew equipment you can possibly get and commercial equipment. Uh, they have that available, BlickmanEngineering.com. Check them out. Uh, lots of great stuff. Uh, he's been paying for the show too, since so you don't have to for for the last uh, fifteen years. So check him out. Do me a favor, send John Blickman an email. You can reach him feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Tell him how much you appreciate him doing this show or paying for the show, so we can do it for you. And uh, yada yada. There you go. Uh, ask for Blickman yep. Engineering at your local homebrew shop uh, today. We want to talk about uh, Kvike yeasts. Uh, there's a lot of questions, a lot of interest in them. And uh, we have our guest, uh, Richard uh, Priest from uh, Escarpment. He's co-founder of Escarpment Laboratories, which is a yeast company for craft brewers. The company's based in Ontario, Canada. Richard has a master's in molecular biology and genetics. 
He leads the R&D efforts of the company, and uh, he's focused on creating new products and better solutions for brewers. He knows a lot about Kvac Yeast, and so that's why we're having him on today. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me to be on here. Uh, it's an honor. Yeah, uh, well, you know, this is... <laughs> Uh, for the it's past, a pleasure to have you here. For the past decade and a half, um, we've been doing the show. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Let me let me give us that that uh, that right. right there. Yeah, but I've enjoyed seeing your talks, Richard, at uh, in Canada and here in the states, and with World Brewing Congress. And so it's it's great to have, actually have you on our show as well. Awesome. Yeah, very happy to be here. Uh, yeah, Richard, you know, before we get started, tell me a little bit about Escarpment. Uh, when did you guys uh, start and, and uh, you know, how's things going for you? Yeah, um, we started in 2015, so we're still not that old, you know, as, as far as the beer world goes. Um, but maybe we're, we're kind of old as far as craft beer goes with the, the explosion of new breweries that popped up. Um, so, you know, starting a yeast company in Canada 2015... Um, it does kind of feel like it was the right place at the right time. We were able to start ourselves up and start figuring out how to make large quantities of, of good quality yeast and uh, get it out to uh, all the Canadian brewers we possibly could um, for the you know the next five years. Um, and that's you know still we're working on that. And you know it's it's also afforded us some of these opportunities to um, really sort of push at the edges with with yeast and try to develop. Uh, and, and identify, you know, some new interesting things um, mm -hmm. for, you know, the yeast world as well. And, you know, that's what's really inspiring to us is seeing all of the science that happens around beer, you know, yeast and, and all the other ingredients, malt and hops and, you know, all the, all the cool stuff that's happening behind the scenes to make, uh, you know, make more flavors and make, uh, make brewing easier and better uh, and improve quality. And, uh, you know, really happy to sort of fit in with that um, as time goes on. Great. And um, your name, Escarpment, is that um, a, a metaphor or is it a <laughs> geological feature? <or? laughs> yeah, it's it's a fancy word for a cliff. Um, and yeah, maybe it, running a small business often feels like you're teetering over the edge of the cliff at, at any given moment. So maybe in, in some ways it is a metaphor. Um, <laughs> but no, we named it after the, the Niagara Escarpment, which is a, a key geographical feature uh, in our region in, in southern Ontario. Um, okay. It's sort of this big cliff or ridge that that really sort of um, bifurcates the the province. So you know you have to drive over it or around it um, if you're going anywhere, pretty much. Uh, and uh, and you know when we started our company, our, our goal was to you know sort of be rooted in place and and have you know a name that ties us to to Ontario. Um, and uh, we're, we're pretty happy about that. Um, that being said, then now we, we get into these situations where it's explaining, you know, what the heck this means uh, to everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you uh, brewed ever? Were you a home brewer or how, how did you get into this? Yeah, um, I was a home brewer. So were, so were my business partners. Um, that's really how we got into this was being uh, lab lab geeks and, and home brewing geeks and realizing we could combine the two and stop paying for yeast and uh, eventually realized that we could, we could also do this and, and, uh, and give it to the breweries and maybe get some free beer out of it. So yeah, I, I definitely come from the context of uh, having homebrewed uh, for, for a few years before getting into this and, you know, certainly learning quite a lot from the two of you. Okay. Nice. So credit where credit's due. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. So let's, let's jump into uh, right off the bat, Mike East, you know, the, the, the thing that I answer a lot of questions about it and I, I've dabbled in it a bit. And the, the thing that seems to be happening, at least online, is people are declaring Kvike to be a miracle yeast, a cure-all for clean fermentation at any temperature. Uh, you know, oh, no need to use lager yeast, no yeast, you need to use Cal Ale. Kvike at, you know, 110 degrees Fahrenheit is, you know, 100% lager-like. Um, you know, is that, is that true? I mean, is, is it the cure-all? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as a cure-all, but I, I do think that because of some of the special properties of, of Kvike, it can do a lot of really cool things. And it is a, uh, the family of yeast is a super versatile tool for brewers um, in the sense that it is possible to make a clean beer at, at those really hot temperatures with Kvike where you might struggle with a different yeast. Um, it is possible to make something, you know, more lager-like if you have the right strain and the right conditions. So uh, I'm not going to say that it solves every brewing problem because it doesn't. Um, but uh, it, it's a really versatile tool. And it's sort of my, my hope is that um, once some of the hype about this, you know, special yeast um, that ferments at 110 degrees uh, dies down, that, you know, we all accepted as a really useful tool um, in our toolbox for, for um, making great beers. Uh, what is, so do all Kvike yeasts uh, ferment clean, you know, low ester or, you know, are there, are there different, uh, different strains? No, there, there's a, there's a lot of diversity. So, um, you know, as a family of yeast, it's, very genetically diverse. I mean, I'm always going to go back to genetics as a, as a lab nerd myself. But um, what that means is that you have a lot of uh, diversity in, in the types of behaviors that the yeast have as well. So you might have some kvikes that are very, very clean across the board, uh, other ones that are very, very fruity and expressive, and, and even other ones that might, might be clean at one temperature or one condition or uh, really fruity at another temperature. So there's quite a lot of variability um, mm-hmm. across the whole family. Yeah, uh, some years back, uh, uh, some folks in Norway gave uh, Tasty McDole five or six uh, yeasts, um, and he brought them back. And then I, I grew them up in my lab, and uh, we did some some test fermentations and tastes of it. And um, they were all over the board. I mean, <laughs> there was there was a, a clean one. There was one that tastes more like a German half. There's one that tastes more like a Belgian ale. There's one that tastes more like an English ale. I mean, they were, they were all over the board and I didn't really think any of them as being really clean. <laughs> you know, I thought all of them was like, yeah, they had different characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one was kind of Saison like. Um, and so I began to wonder if, you know, the, uh, origin of some of these yeast might not have been from, uh, you know, one of these other areas where some, you know, some brewer in Norway, you know, 150 years ago went and got some yeast, a pitch yeast from some brewery in Germany or, uh, you know, in England and took it back and, 
you know, now it's kind of become, oh, these are Kavikeists. And so is Kavike truly a different genetic strain or is it, does it have origins? Have, has the, has the history or the path of Kavike yeast been traced back like they've done on some other yeast? And there's, they're all ale strains, correct? Yeah, they're all ale strains. Um, so it's all just Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It's not like a, a lager yeast or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to do some genetic work with, with Kvike, um and, and published a paper back in 2018. And uh, what we found uh, at the time was, was that uh, there was a pretty distinct genetic makeup with, for Kvike. Um, it wasn't, you know, just neatly fit into any of the other yeast families. And, and you know, the other important thing was that um, all the quikes that we sequenced were kind of nestled within the same family. So, so that gave some support for the idea that there, there is a genetic family of, of quike. Um, and that, that thus far has, has remained supported um, as more of them get sequenced. That being said, where it came from, I think, is still an open question. It's, it's harder to trace that back. Uh, we were able to find that it, it appears to be a result of a hybridization of standard brewing yeast family, the standard brewing yeast family, um, that pretty much everything like bison yeasts and like uh, English jail yeasts and American yeast come from. Uh, it's pretty clear that that's one of the parents of, of Kvike is you know, something presumably mainstream and European, but then uh, we also, you know, had some suggestion that there's some other parent parental line uh, that was a lot harder to, to figure out. It appeared to trace back a little bit further in, in history. So um, that still remains a bit of a scientific mystery, but um, we can definitely say that it is a distinct family of yeast uh, if we look at the genetics. And um, that that's helpful too, because then, you know, as more yeasts, as more of these traditional yeasts are discovered, we can, you know, make those comparisons and plug new strains in to that mm-hmm. family tree. Uh, but that's, that's the, the kind of cool thing is, yeah, you might have some that, that, that taste like other types of yeast, but um, as long as it is um, quike um, and, you know, has that history of being passed down through generations, it, it tends to be the real thing. Okay. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk uh, more about uh, Kvike yeasts, temperatures, pitching rates, all that stuff that you guys want to know right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. 
All right, we're back. We're talking with uh, Richard Priest from uh, Escarpment Laboratories in Canada, uh, a, a yeast uh, company that uh, develops a lot of really cool, interesting things. Um, I checked out your website and saw uh, like a really interesting array of, of yeasts. Uh, you know, you even make uh, some lager yeasts. And one of the questions that people have all the time is, can I, can I make a lager with Kvikis? <laughs> yeah, this is this is one of one of one of my uh, my struggles is is the answer that I'll give is is yes, but it but it might not taste exactly like you know the results that you're going to get from a lager yeast. Um, I think and, we and, need to you know, define a... <laughs> lager like. What, what, do yeah. we, what do we mean yeah. when we say can we make a lager? What does that That's, imply? A clean, a bit of sulfur. <laughs> um, you know, lager. And what do we mean by have, clean? Well, yeah, low ester, um, you know, uh, low diacetyl. Um, uh, you know, the the thing about uh, lagers is, like, you know, the lager yeast, people people have unfortunately, uh, you know, put uh, lager, uh, the idea of lager as, well, lacking in any ale characters, you know, characteristics, getting rid of the, the, the fruity and all this, all that stuff is still there in different, different compounds, different layers. And there's other compounds that become more pronounced and, and that is a lager. So it's not, lager is not the absence of flavor. Lager is a different set of flavors and most ale yeasts are not able to produce the flavors in the uh, ratios needed for it to taste lager-like. And that's why, personally, I believe, no, you can't make a lager with Kvike yeast. It's the same. You might as well use, you know, 001 and do that, you know, call that a lager. It's not a lager. It's not a lager unless you use the lager yeast, I think. But that's me. Um an old curmudgeon. So uh, the question was for you, Richard. What, what yeah. do you think? <laughs> I mean, you can try it. It's 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 going to be different, and it may get you know cleaner, but it's not going to be longer. I, I think you can get very close. I think you're you're absolutely correct that there are you know these subtle configurations of flavor. Uh, I'm going to steal that term um, that make a lager yeast a lager yeast, and you know a lot of it comes down to you know what does it do to highlight the malt and the hops what does it do you know in subtle ways a lot of the times to sort of highlight the other ingredients like lager yeast kind of does elevate the other ingredients uh, mm-hmm. rather than you know being the star itself I, I think with Kvike you know with the right strains their products and the right uh, conditions you can get very close and, and I think the benefit there is that um, you can do it at a, at a much faster rate right we we've mm-hmm. done experiments where we've been able to make a, a pseudo lager using using Kvike, um grain to glass in less than seven days, and I'll tell you, yeah, the result is 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 I don't like the result as much as a you know a proper lager that's taken six weeks, but the Kvike one took six days, right? So there, there's there's trade offs always, right? And I think you can get very close. You know, some of these strains can produce a little bit of that uh, volatile sulfur that's sort of characteristic of lager yeasts, mm-hmm. um, by dialing in the temperature, the pitching rate, you can suppress the esters, um, by managing the fermentation, uh, you can sort of preserve those malt aromas. So I, I think it is possible to get close, but, but you're right. It's, uh, lager yeast is a, you know, totally different beast. It's, uh, 
genetically a, a really special thing and, and it's really hard for for ale yeast to exactly replicate it mm-hmm. but yeah you can make some very nice you know lager like beers with like now what about uh pitch rate we, we talk about pitch rate a lot but how important is pitch rate for Kvike yeast? Uh, some some people say you should pitch less because you could overpitch Kvike yeast. Yeah, that's that's always been, I think, a matter of debate, and it comes down to the you know the traditional method involving pitching a, a really low pitch rate, right? A few a few little flakes of yeast tossed into the wort. Um, so we did put that to the test. Uh, we shared some of that um, November last year, and. Uh, basically tested four different quikes at three different pitch rates. And what we found was that for two of the four, uh, it made a difference in terms of the uh, the aromatics. And for the other two, it, it didn't seem to make a difference. So it might actually be a strain-specific phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've found in practice versus in the lab is that when quike is seriously overpitched, it does tend to diminish the aromatics. But um, if it's pitched at a, you know, a standard, what I would call a standard ale pitch rate or half or a quarter of that, it tends to perform and shine pretty well uh, within that range. It's really when it's like seriously overpitched that you tend right. to really suppress the uh, pleasant aromatics and kind of just get more of the bread crust and floral kind of aromas out. Which is true of just about any yeast. When I've tried this in the yeah. past, you know, uh, you, you really had to go nuts on the pitching in order to really over pitch over pitching is very difficult to achieve in most cases. Um, and you know, under pitching a little bit, um, is fine in most cases. Uh, you know, the yeast is pretty flexible. Uh, it's when you seriously don't provide enough yeast that you really run into issues with, with brewing, I think. Um, so, the what would be your recommended pitch rate for 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 most kvikis and feel free to call out the the two uh weird ones that uh <laughs> need a different pitch rate yeah if i recall uh yeah um in general what I tend to go with personally is somewhere between traditional and normal, right? Uh, traditional being about a million cells per mil, just straight up, and uh, normal ale pitching rate being seven to ten million cells per mil. Um, I personally tend to shoot for somewhere in the middle. Um, so, you know, at the homebrew scale, that would be basically half a pouch. So you can use half of the pouch and save the other half for the next brew. On a 18, 20 liter, five gallon yeah, batch? Yeah, five gallon batch, yeah. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Jacobson, he's asking, would the cleaner cultures, uh, I guess the Kvike cleaner Kvike cultures, work better with the classic hop profiles, noble hop varieties? Yes, uh, most absolutely. Of the, most of the mainstream cultures available seem to mesh well with uh, newer hops and the flavors that the yeast provides. Yeah, and sort of just going back to, to you know, the idea that I think Kvike will settle in as, you know, a really useful tool that's available to everyone is um, it, it does work with a lot of different ingredients. And you know, depending on the strain that you choose, you can you can do a lot of different things with it. You can you can do, you know, traditional English beers with it, depending on, on the on the other ingredients you choose. So mm-hmm. if you're doing a pseudo lager with a 
with a kvike. Um, yeah, definitely you want to use those traditional hops that would, you know, would, would be in a, in a great lager, you know, sots or tetanang or, or whatever you want to use. I think uh, those could mesh really well, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you've got a strain that's a little bit more neutral. Okay. Another thing that I see on, uh, on the interwebs is um, the question of how hot you can ferment with Kvike. And my personal experience with uh, most uh, yeasts is that they start to shut down around 95 Fahrenheit. Uh, you, you know, you can get into the 90s, but they start to slow down. You get, you get past 95, and they really just generally don't want to ferment. Um, what is the case with Kvike? I've, I've heard people say, Oh, I fermented at 109 and it, and it was fine. I'm imagining, okay, so their room was 109, but maybe the wort was not quite at 109 and that, you know, it had started fermenting earlier, pretty much ripped through it. And all they saw was CO2 being evolved. I mean, have you tested in the lab exactly how high and how low a temperature Kvike can ferment at? Yes. Yeah, we did. Um, nice. So... Uh, we, we have tested a number. I'm not going to say we've tested every kvike, but we've tested a number of them. And uh, it seems like the the upper the upper bound for most of them is about 42, 43 Celsius, so 108 to 110 Fahrenheit. Mm. Um, none of them were able to grow or ferment at 45, so that's you know absolute max. But yeah, mm. up to pretty steamy temperatures, uh, they will be active. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the optimum uh, in terms of performance, but a lot of them will tolerate those those crazy high temperatures. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete is asking uh, on when you're harvesting kvike. Uh, I've heard some people saying they're dry, they dry harvested yeast. Is this necessary or beneficial or not needed at all? Okay, so the the traditional approach um, that's taken for for most of the brewers in Norway, where the where the cultures come from, is to harvest the yeast, either top crop it or bottom crop it, and dry it out, you know, on mm-hmm. a piece of parchment paper, uh, you know, in the oven with the light on, kind of thing, um, so that you end up with dry uh, yeast that you can then, you know, use in the future. Um, you don't have to. You can you can crop liquid yeast and store it, and, and still reap the benefits of. Uh, the pretty amazing stress tolerance. Um, you know, first of all, it is it is amazing that these yeasts are so tolerant of drying. Uh, but second of all, you know, we've seen liquid slurries that have been 90% viability at six months uh, mm-hmm. or longer. So um, either way, they're they're pretty good at resisting stress and, and surviving. So you know, I would be very comfortable, you know, keeping a, a liquid slurry sample of Kvikin, reusing it six, eight months later, um, maybe make a little starter just to double check, but they're, they're pretty resilient. Now, if you do dry out the yeast, um, I assume unless you are very careful or put in a hood or some way of isolating it, you probably get some bacteria, other wild yeast landing on it as well. A little bit. Um, you know, the nice thing about the drying is that it's a pretty strong selective environment and a lot of microbes aren't good at drying out like that. So, yeah, in some ways you've got this open environment where bacteria and things like wild yeast can can end up. But at the same time, um, if you're reducing the water content, then a lot of things just won't survive. Mm-hmm. So have you have you have you had makali from uh, Korea? 
we have had some Makali uh, enter our lab and plated it out and seen the uh, whirlwind of, of microbes that are in there. Right. So yeah, that's, yeah uh, sometimes bacteria can survive drying. It's like a dried rice cake thing yeah. with, you know, it, it's just amazing. I, I love it. I, I've really become a fan. I, you spend enough time in Korea, <laughs> you drink enough, uh, you start to love Makali. Uh, it's just one of those things. Um, all right. Let's see here. Uh, all right. We got time for one, one more before we, before we go to another break. Um, Jimmy is asking, is it better to refer to them as different strains or different cultures or does it matter? Especially in reference to the original farmhouse instead of isolated strains. Yeah, it does get complicated because we have, uh, original cultures that come from farmhouse brewers um, in in Norway, and you know those have a name. Usually, the name of the person or the farm. Um, and then, what yeast companies are often selling is 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 isolates or a blend of isolates from those original cultures. So um, maybe isolates is my way of getting around strains uh, as a name here. But uh, yeah, it does get a little, a little complicated because a lot of the products that are available are blends of multiple strains or multiple mm-hmm. isolates mm-hmm. Um, that are not necessarily representative of the original uh, cultures. So it is a little bit tricky. Uh, I know the, the, the writer who's, who's really been pushing a lot of this knowledge, Lars Marius Garsal, he's got a Kvike registry. Uh, I know he just published about that in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly. So I would recommend checking that out. That uh, that paper helps to sort of explain a lot of this, uh, a lot of these uh, definitions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I, th- I think a lot of you know the flavor and culture and and, and why. You know, when, when we, we tested these in the lab and isolated out, you know, the various uh, yeasts that we, we were given from Norway, um, you know, we've got, you know, interesting flavors, some horrible flavors. But when you just took a chunk of the dried material and fermented that, I think most of the times it tasted better. And I think, you know, sometimes it's the production of acid from, you know, uh, the one thing or another or the production of, you know, certain flavors. It's, it's the, the whole becomes, you know, more than the sum of its parts. When you break that out and isolate them out into pure cultures, mm-hmm. you can't just pick one and say, oh, yeah, I'm just going with that. It, it really depended in the, in the field, in, in the farmhouse on all of that. You know, one of my favorite breweries in the world is Harvey's in, uh, in in England. And I was there and they were telling me about how they had some years ago their, uh, their yeast uh, plated out. And they said, yeah, there were nine organisms in there. <laughs> and so they get it, you know, grown up and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, stored for them. And, but there's nine organisms in there. If you were to take one of those yeasts, and, you know, brew something with it, it's not Harvey's. You're not going to get that same flavor. You need all nine of them there in kind of a weird blend. And I, I wonder if a lot of the, you know, traditional Kvike yeast things were, you know, based off of, you know, this collection of flavors, not, you know, one isolated yeast. And we're, we're you know, 
or phobically focused on, you know, this pure yeast thing. Yeah, I didn't think we were going to get this philosophical, but yeah, this is super important. <laughs> I've been drinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at, at yeast in brewing before people like me came along, it was all these uh, mixed cultures like, like Kvike or like what Harvey's uses where, you know, people had yeast, but it wasn't purified. So whatever they had was typically a mixture of different strains. It, it may be all Saccharomyces. It may make clean beers, but it probably wasn't just a single strain. And, mm-hmm. you know, that changed when, when Carlsberg started, you know, developing a uh, single strain culture and that kind of just spread like wildfire. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe my, one of my hopes is that Kvike kind of wakes us up to the, this idea that in some ways these, uh, communities of yeast can can produce uh, better results or, or or interesting results that are that are sort of worth exploration and force uh, some of the lab people like myself to sort of rethink our approach to pure culture and figure out how the heck we can uh, you know produce products that have nine or ten yeasts in them and and ensure consistency. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Uh, bonus fun fact that I found on the internet. Well, this. Kvike is not actually the word that all Norwegians use to refer to their traditional farmhouse yeast blends, even though it has recently come into that use for the rest of us in order to keep things simple. In Norway, people in different regions call their yeast by a variety of names, including Yest, Yester, Young, and Farm, among other things. But that's because pretty confusing. And so we all, all us, all us Americans and North Americans, and probably South Americans are using uh, Gewike as, as what we call it. All right, let's take another short break. When we come back, we will talk uh, more Gewike, including uh, aeration and other things right after this. to brew has never been so disgusting this is brew strong all right we're back we're here with richard priest from uh Scartman laboratories he's their their uh, uh, lead on r&d and other efforts and uh he has a great deal of knowledge about kvike yeast and he is sharing that with us today i'll, I'll tell you this uh one of the things that I think radically changes how a yeast performs is the level of uh, aeration, nutrients, things like that. The, the substrate that they have to work with will dramatically change the results you get. You can take the same yeast and you can give it you know, uh, 10 different environments and you get 10 completely different results where you would say it's different yeast. Um, on the kvikis, what what uh, how does it respond to things like aeration, or uh, do you need to aerate kvikis? Yes, <laughs> you absolutely do. Um, and you you have to consider that the the context that the yeast has been used in for you know at least hundreds of years is open fermentation. Uh, and that, that may mean that a yeast has more access to oxygen than, than it would in, in a closed fermenter, you mm-hmm. know, not only on the homebrew side in a, you know, carboy, but, but especially when you get on the pro brewery side as well. And, you know, um, big tanks. Um, so what we've seen is that Kvike benefits quite a lot from lots of oxygen up front, uh, just like, 
I mean, just like a lot of the yeasts that are being used uh, for popular beer styles now, you know, the the yeasts that are used for hazy IPAs are no different. They also have uh, higher oxygen requirements than the the Cal Ale that we were all trained on. Right. So, so it's really important. <laughs> okay, so you, you must aerate it. Um, and what about other things like uh, zinc? Do we need to worry about zinc, free amino nitrogen, other stuff? Uh, how how does it respond? I, I thought I read something on your site about uh, uh, perhaps a need for additional free amino nitrogen on on, on some strains and some some words. Yeah, it rarely hurts unless you're adding way too much nutrient. Um, yeah, Kvike do have above average uh, requirements for free amino nitrogen. So, you know, that is why, for example, they perform so well in high gravity beers, because if you're doing an all grain high gravity beer, you're already getting tons and tons of nutrients out of those uh-huh. out of that uh, that malt. And, you know, especially if we look back, you know, a year or two. Uh, in the past, a lot of our troubleshooting had to do with like in lower gravity beers, right? If you're, you know, something 1050 or below. And um, when we worked with those brewers, it was often, you know, try adding some nutrient and that often helps quite a lot to um, prevent it from slower stalled fermentations. So uh, the nutrition is really important. It's nothing special. It's just make sure that it gets enough of that free amino nitrogen. Well, that's fascinating because Every time I think about farmhouse yeast or something, you know, that somebody that was using horses as their horsepower <laughs> was brewing, I always tend to think, well, they were probably doing something lower gravity. Because one, it's difficult to get a really high gravity work out of, you know, poorly killed malt and out on the farm. I mean, and you didn't want, you know, uh, 10% ABV beers when you're working with sharp implements that can slice your legs off. So everything was pr- pretty much probably lower ABV. And that's why most of the farmhouse things work with lower ABV. Well, but you're saying it's, it's different. It, These it are Norwegian comes, farmers. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes down to culture. It all comes down to the context of the people that are brewing the beer. Um, uh-huh. And so, you know, are you saying Norwegians are a bunch of alcoholics? I'm saying Norwegians are a bunch of binge drinkers. Yes, they are. Um, yeah, it comes down to culture, Wonderful right? People. If, yes. if you're a culture like Denmark where, where you know, uh, there's the regular low alcohol beer consumption, then that, those are the kinds of beers that get brewed. Um, historically, uh, Norway was, was more so uh, skewed towards alcohol consumption for celebrations. Um, mm-hmm. So people would brew for, you know, Christmas and weddings, Um maybe, maybe Easter and things like that. So, so consequently brewing was not something you did for everyday nutrition. It was something you did to show off. So yeah, you're going to make something high octane and crazy because it shows that it shows that you have the disposable income to use your grain to make beer rather than feeding your family. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, (laughs) I I may represent that remark, but yeah. Nice. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Wendy was asking, uh, which is your favorite strain? We got great results using Midburst in our Cray Cray IPA. Cool. Uh, we'll, we'll be releasing Midburst as our, as our, we'll talk about Fike Ring later on, but as our uh, Fike Ring release uh, next month. So watch out for that. Um, I still really like Hornendal. I think, uh, I think there's a ton of applications uh, for, um, Hornendal. Um, 
it, it's also one that that is pretty widely available in in different formats. Um, you can what do a lot of different things with it. So yeah, if you if you sort of under pitch and uh, and and ferment hotter, you can get a lot of tropical fruit aromas out of it. So it works really well in in uh, you know IPAs and 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 things like that. Or you know if you pitch a little bit more and uh, decrease the temperature, you can get clean results as well. So I like it for you know Kolsch style things um, as well. Mm. Just really versatile. Now now given the fact that uh, most of these are you know traditionally were dried and stored dry and clearly survive that treatment. Why are the dry yeast companies not jumping on Kvikes and making a, a lot of Kvike packets out there? Oh, they are. Oh, they are. Yeah. I, I still remember, I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, one of the, one of the guys from Lalamon coming up to me after a, a talk and saying, you know, <laughs> Thanks for doing the research. We're very excited about Kvike. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, so I think and we, we've already seen that, right? Lalamont's got a got a Voss on the market, and uh, I, I'm sure everyone else is working on something because you know why wouldn't they be? It, it makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, because I, I recall you know part of the struggle in the past was certain strains wouldn't uh, dry that well and 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 survive, and so they had to limit their offerings to you know, certain yeasts. Yeah. Um, it's a bottleneck. <laughs> right. Um, how does uh Kvike yeast, uh, impact hops or malt, you know, the bittering, the aroma, residual malt character, what exactly is going on there? Is different strains, different things, or they all tend to go one way. The simple answer is different strains, different things. Um, when you look at hops, you know, some of them are more or less capable of biotransformation than mm-hmm. others. Um, you know, we're still researching that, but you know, there are some that are really good at it. Some that barely, barely touch the hops, um, depending on, you know, what you're looking for. Um, some of them might, uh, enhance or diminish the bitterness as well. There's, there's a pretty, pretty big range there. Um, so you know that is one of the things that I usually suggest people that are you know making pseudo lagers with Kvike is bump up the bitterness a little bit because the yeast itself is going to make that beer you know have a slightly more sweet perception, uh, and that can often help to to balance out those beers. Hmm. Is there you know one strain you'd recommend for something if you're going for something that was hoppy? Um, is there there Kvike that you would recommend for that? We really like Ebbegarden for that. Um, that is one of the, uh, our, our product is a blend of two strains. Um, it has really high biotransformation capacity, um, sort of in that medium flocculation range, like a lot of the yeast that are used for, for you know, really fruity IPAs. So mm-hmm. tends to work really well in those applications. And the one you would recommend for the most lager-like? <laughs> yeah, we we have a uh, product that we launched in April that we call Crispy. Um, oh, yeah, right, right. The Crispy. Yeah, the crispy. It's a blend. Uh, it is a blend. It's a blend of two strains that uh, came from a, a Kvike called Scara um, that we we had released um, just sort of as a test and and got some really great feedback on it. So that motivated us to tweak it, and uh, we ended up just pulling out one strain that was a little fruitier and less flocculent, uh, so that we had something. Uh, a blend of two strains that that sort of gives that that clean and quick ferment and good flocculation. 
Mm -hmm. Now, what temperature do you recommend for that strain? Uh, for clean results, we, we tend to suggest 20 to 25 C, so 72 to 78 Fahrenheit. I think that's what it is. <laughs> yep. You can go hotter, it just, gets, it just starts to get some uh, tropical fruit aromas. Uh, if you were to make, if you wanted to make a, um, uh, tropical fruity, juicy IPA, uh, what, what strain, what temperature? Ebigarden 30 Celsius, which is 90 Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what are you drinking? It looks, uh, <laughs> purple in a, uh, kind of a tulipy glass. Yeah, I've got a, a beer from a brewery called Lone Oak Brewing Company in Prince Edward Island. They uh, sent us a box of beer, um, and I was just reading my fridge this afternoon and uh, thought I would pull this out. So I'm actually not sure if this is fermented with Kvike, but I know that they use um, some of our products to ferment their beer, and it's a, it's a new brewery, so I wanted to uh, give them a shout-out. Nice. Uh, Prince Edward Island's not a big place, so uh, I uh, wish them wish them all, all the success in, uh, in getting open, especially opening up this year. It's it's a tough tough time to open a brewery or own a brewery or close a brewery. It's it's a sucky time for everybody, and you know that affects everybody else. It affects you. It affects uh, the hop the hop suppliers, the malt suppliers, uh, the grocery stores. Everybody, everyone's everyone's just you know, having a weird time. Of it. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what is your Kvike ring? <laughs> It's in your website, the Kvike Ring. Yeah, the Kvike Ring was an idea we had to try to solve the problem of, of having too many Kvikes uh, that we really hadn't had any experience with. So we had this idea of, okay, why don't we carve out one propagator every month and uh, we'll put a new Kvike into it, grow it up, uh, make it available to pro and home brewers and, and get some feedback. Uh, and we've been doing that for, for a year now. Uh, it's been a lot of fun because uh, we wouldn't otherwise be releasing a brand new product every single month. Um, so it's been really cool. And, and uh, the feedback from this is, is really useful. It's, it's helped guide us um, to, you know, which strains are, or which products blends are successes and which ones are duds. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, for example, led to uh, Crispy being developed. Um, that led to, we're going to be regularly producing a strain called Lairdal that has a really nice sort of pineapple character. Um, and it gives us an opportunity to pull these things out of the, out of the freezer and, and uh, take them for a test drive um, and, you know, learn more about, about Kvike. Is this something that is available only in Canada or can people outside of Canada you know, get access to some of these. We do, we do ship to the U S um, although it's a relatively new thing. We we've really been doing this in the last year or so. Um, so we do, we do ship to U S breweries, uh, homebrew shops. And, and then if, uh, if there's a homebrew shop uh, that, that doesn't uh, stock us and there's still, still trying to add to that roster in the U S uh, we also can take on bulk buys. So if you've got a, you know, a group of a few homebrewers, then, uh, you can email us and put together an order, and you know, that's a great way to get your hands on a few of these uh, Kvike Ring releases at once. I might be willing to do something here. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll do we could do a little pilot brew, and we could uh, maybe also take an order in for the local home brewers and 
and do it out of here somehow get it distributed i'll tell you one of the one of the great homebrew shops is uh, brew chatter in uh, sparks nevada they're they're near near reno uh, okay. you can reach them uh, brewchatter.com my good friends uh, rj and josh at brew chatter uh they uh, have jumped on as sponsors of this, but uh, I tell you, only the only reason I, uh, I mention is because they are wonderful folks that I've been dealing with for for several years. Uh, learned about them up in Reno, and uh, they just have a wonderful shop with great uh, ingredients and a great. Um, thirst for knowledge and creativity. I mean, they do stuff like, you know, they'll, they'll even do like sourdough breads. They do everything, you know, from distilling to sourdough breads. They got it all there at Brew Chatter. So check them out, brewchatter.com. Uh, if you get a chance, do me a favor, email customer service at brewchatter.com and tell RJ and Josh how much you appreciate that they're helping pay for the show. Uh, so we can, John and I can continue doing the, uh, the half-assery that we do. Right. Uh, so maybe Brew Chatter uh, would be a great place to have uh, some escarpment laboratories. Uh, uh, rain yeast. I don't know. One hundred percent. I'll reach out. Yeah, we yeah. we we partner with a lot of homebrew shops up here in Canada and really value that relationship. And you know, especially these shops that you know have a a strong connection to their local communities. Um, I, you know, I really can, value the community aspect of homebrewing. I can put you in touch with those guys. Like I said. I can, you know, for if there's no way to get it around here, around I, I, we are in Fairfield, California, which is kind of uh, Napa adjacent, and so <laughs> that gives you an idea where we're at. Uh, I'd be happy to, you know, take in an order if you know if people email me and tell me they want some, <laughs> and maybe we can put an order together and I'll bring it in. I'll store it in the cold box, and then people can come pick it up. Uh, I'd be fine with that. I don't. Uh, uh, I think it'd be cool to to do more with the Kavikis. All, right, All right, let's do let's this. Do let's take uh, one more short break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up uh, talking Kavik uh, right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're talking Kvike and with uh, Richard uh, Priest from uh, Escarpment Laboratories in Canada. They do a lot of interesting stuff with yeast. Check them out. Uh, EscarpmentLaboratories.com, something like that. I don't know. Uh, that is go- exactly what it is. <laughs> there you go. Good guess. Uh, but they have a, a lot of Kvike yeast uh, stuff going on. Uh, really fascinating. We're going to have Richard back on another time if I don't annoy him too much and uh, he refuses to do the show in the future. Uh, <clears throat> let's see here. Question for you. How many strains of Kvike do you think there are? How many grains of sand are in the beach? I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> That I mean, that is a really, really good question and a really hard question to answer. You know, what we uh, what we have seen so far is that, you know, the deeper people dig into those individual cultures. Like, so, for example, the original Hornadal culture, you know, the more you dig, the more genetic diversity, you know, genetically distinct 
individuals, which we may call strains, you find. So um, it's a really hard question to answer. And, and I know that there's there's some other some research groups that are sort of working on that as well, where, you know, there's one group that I think may have gone into 40, 50, 60 colonies from a, from a Kvika and found, okay, most of these are actually different from each other. Mm. Uh, actually, in fact, I know that Carlsberg did that, for example. They they dug into one of the Kvikes and did a pretty deep dive. So oh. um, I don't have a great answer to that because even, even in one of those, you know, flakes of yeast from one of those farmers, you might have, you might have a few dozen interesting strains of yeast. How, how many do you think that are known at this time? In terms of original cultures, uh, again, this is sort of where I defer to uh, to Lars Marius Garzal and his Kvike registry or his farmhouse yeast registry, uh, as it's being called now. He's sort of keeping track of that. I know that uh, the number is in the 60s now. So there's 60 known uh, traditional farmhouse cultures, you know, not just from Norway, also from Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Russia as well. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Where have they all come from? Uh, Are you getting, you know, little uh, chunks of of Norwegian yeast smuggled out in somebody's underwear on a flight? Or, I mean, what exactly is the process for you to acquire (laughs) these these cultures? Yeah, every so often a a package shows up from Norway in a tea box and it's full (laughs) of flakes of yeast. Um, <laughs> this is, this is literally how it happens. You know, our, our employees know that if, if weird mail shows up from Norway, it's for me. Um, but yeah, we're, we're really fortunate to have these, uh, relationships with some of the people over there, uh, who, who know that, you know, we're committed to studying these yeasts and, and, you know, sharing, sharing, uh, the good things about them. And, uh, so we are able to get a lot of these right from the source. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, the folks, the boots on the ground in Norway, um, if they find a new kvike or a you know a new person brewing with kvike, they'll you know try to split that off and and send it out to you know a few different places for preservation and and, and study. And so you know we're very lucky to be on that list. If I was to send you a weird growth that I found here. Uh, would I put your name on it and stick it in a little box and uh, it, send yeah, it? in the brewery? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, in the brewery, in the brewery. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I love, I love, uh, I love strange microbes and figuring out, you know, what they are and what makes them tick. Uh, no, we every every year uh, after a few freezing nights, we will uh, do a uh, you know a cool ship type of uh, inoculation out of our our skylights remain open year round they have louvers in them that are open all year round and after a few freezing nights we'll raise uh wort on our scissor lift up to the uh to the skylight uh, offering to the gods and then we'll bring it down the next day it's just raging fermentation <laughs> and um, we've isolated a lot of the stuff out and it's just like it looks like a bunch of uh you know various strains that we might use here, but we've also found uh, some strains of Brett that we think is unique. So uh, we're always, it's kind of fascinating and and it'll, it'll ferment the strain of Brett we got. It'll ferment over 18% ABV, which is strong for Brett. Um, I mean, most people say Brett will crap out around 14, but 
Yeah, it just depends. I mean, we pushed 001 to 16.5% just, uh, just recently. And so, like, yeah, I think most yeast, given the right conditions, can do a lot. And you mentioned how Kvac uh, yeast will, um, uh, you know, ferment better in a higher gravity uh, wort, you know, uh, related to, you know, more free amino nitrogen, things like that. Have you tested the tolerance level of uh, Kvac? Is there an upper limit for uh, the ABV that can be attained? We have. Um, there are different ways of testing it. So you guys have done everything. You, yeah. you guys oh, yeah. are awesome. Oh, yeah. We try to we try to back up our opinions with science whenever possible. But uh, maybe some the opposite of Bruce Strong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. Um, yeah, we have. So, so we did, uh, we, we have tested alcohol tolerance of, of a lot of the, the bikes and, and, you know, we basically in that experiment, we went up to 16% because we assumed that we wouldn't need to go any higher, but a lot oh, of them, you know, just trucked big. along up to 16, no problem. We have not oh. tested higher. So, uh, okay. certainly, certainly possible. I'm willing to push it. I, I think, uh, <laughs> Do you, do you have an idea as to which one might be the the highest alcohol tolerant? Uh, the Hornendal is just very, very resilient across the board. Um, okay. uh, so that would be a good one for sure. Okay. All right. Here's here's to uh, 25% Hornendal uh, beer. Yeah. I know I, I made a barley wine with it uh, a couple years ago, and I know that went up to 17 or 18%. Nice. So, yeah, pretty pretty high octane. Okay. Uh, how are these, uh, geese getting their names? Um, there's a lot of names I, I really can't pronounce. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of them are named after either the person that they come from or the farm, huh? right? Um, in general, it is, it is, uh, Lars kind of giving them the name, uh, mm. usually asking the person, what do you, you know, what do you want to call this? And, uh, so that's why they have these crazy names. Cause a lot of cases it's, it's farms or people in, in Norway, uh, that they're mm -hmm. named after. So, um, yeah, if you want to throw a name at me, I can, uh, I can try to explain it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that's, 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 that's quite fine. Uh, are are these yeasts or uh, these cultures that th that are coming from these farms have they have they been there? You know, 150, 200, 500 years. How long are these cultures been in place? Do you know? It's really hard to to date them in, in terms of brewing, you know, we know that brewing has been happening in that region for at least 400 years ago. Um, there's yeast logs that basically were used to like stick in the wort, pick up the yeast and reuse it that, that date back 400 years. So uh, I imagine they were brewing before they developed the technology to uh, stick a log in the, in the fermenting beer. Um, so it's probably pretty ancient. Log, uh, one of the hopes is technology. That yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's a technological development still. Um, one of the hopes is that, you know, as more yeasts get sequenced genetically and as, as more analysis gets done, that we can sort of use those as a, as a molecular clock to understand mm -hmm. how far back this goes. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really one of the hopes. I know there's uh, some folks over in, in Norway looking to do some, some work on the archaeological side as well to sort of give us some better, better numbers as to how old this is. 
All right. I got two quick questions. Uh, Jimmy's asking, are there certain strains that you found that work well with mixed culture, such as with Brett? Uh, could they be pitched together and fermented at Kvike temperature or would it be better to do lower temperatures? Yes, uh, we have done that. Um, done some experiments with uh, mixed firm, like more traditional Berliner Weisses, um, but including Kvike for, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, a bit of a twist. Uh, we really like our, our Lairdal and, and, uh, and, and Hornendal in that context. Um, seems to work pretty well in both cases with, with, uh, with Brett. I wouldn't pitch or use Brett over 30 Celsius or 90 Fahrenheit. In, in our experience, it tends to start to produce some, you know, pretty bad, you know, garbagey flavors uh, at those temperatures. So tend to try to keep it in the, you know, closer to the, you know, standard uh, fermentation temperature range. So it could be a case where you're pitching Brett, you know, in secondary after a, a like mm. primary ferment. Unless you like those garbagey flares. <laughs> All right. One last question before we, we wrap it up. Uh, where do people find your products? Uh, there's going to be a lot of people in the U S and, and, and internationally, they're trying to find your products after the show because of the millions of listeners that are going <laughs> to download this podcast. There, there'll be thousands uh, and they'll, they'll want to uh, try out some of your products. Uh, what's the best way to go about getting them? Absolutely. So th- there's a few options. Um, if you're in Europe, the, the malt miller in the UK uh, brings in our products pretty regularly. And, and ah, the malt miller. Great. They're going to start um, carrying our beers. Oh, great. Heretic beers. That's awesome. Uh, in the US, uh, we have a lot of uh, our few homebrew clubs that have done bulk buys. We're open to that. Uh, always happy to work with new homebrew shops as well. Um, I know we're, we're sort of just on the, on, uh, you know, the early stages of getting onboarded with us homebrew shops. We literally did not have the product, uh, up until a few months ago and we've, we've solved a lot of those problems. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, so hoping to bring on more homebrew shops as well. Uh, if you're looking to buy some stuff right away, uh, there are a couple homebrew shops in Canada that will ship over to the U S. Um, so one that I'll highlight here is uh, KJ urban winery. They're literally around the corner from us in Guelph uh freshest possible yeast they actually list the packaging date of the yeast on their website and you can order it from them and get it shipped to the u.s um so you know you can be sure that that you're getting really fresh yeast um ordering through them fantastic thank you so much richard uh appreciate you spending time with us i think this is a great show yeah i think if you are willing uh we'd love to have you back for for another show or maybe 10 I think uh, I think you have a lot of knowledge that we want to pick and we want to provide to to our listeners. Thank you very much to our our proud sponsors, uh, Blickman Engineering, uh, John at Blickman. We love you. Thank you so much for making this possible for the last 15, 16 years. Uh, you know, hopefully our listeners will send you an email at feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and tell you how much they appreciate that you've made the show for free all this time and uh, check out uh, brew chatter and brewchatter.com if you get a chance until then everybody uh, brew strong brew strong everyone brew strong everyone